0: Welcome back to the MarTech
1: Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Knit. Knit enables businesses of all sizes to find new audiences through audio ads on premium podcast content like CNN, Bleacher Report, and TMZ. They're a dynamic ad insertion platform that allows you to reach your audience by choosing which shows, geographies, and keywords you want to target with podcast ads. And since Knit is a self-service platform, there are no minimum order sizes. I'm a Knit customer, and I can vouch that it's an incredibly easy and it's a cost-efficient way to market a product or service. If you're interested in learning about the Knit platform, I will personally walk you through the setup of your first campaign. So to book a podcast advertising strategy session with me, click the link on our show notes or go to benjshap.com slash Knit. That's K-N-I-T. So, click the link in our show notes or head over to benjshap.com slash knit to leverage the power of podcasts and start building your audience today. Bringing podcast advertising to the people, that's knit. Today, we're going to discuss how digital marketing practices are being integrated into brick and mortar retail. Joining us is John Ruge, who is the vice president of marketing at Skyfi, which is an emerging technology company that provides data analytics and marketing services to physical venues. Prior to working at SkyFi, John has been a founder of a SaaS startup and part of the marketing team for a branch of Yum! Brands, which was responsible for launching restaurants like Pizza Hut, KFC, and Taco Bell. And today, John is going to tell us about the landscape for brick-and-mortar companies and how traditional retail businesses are staying competitive with online brands. Here is our interview with John Ruji, the VP of Marketing from SkyFi. John, welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Ben, thanks for having me. It's great being with you. It's great to have you here. And I want to first start off by having you spell your name because there is no chance in the world that I would have been able to pronounce it based on how it was spelled. Let's clue the audience in. How do you spell your last name?
2: Sure. Happy to do that. It's something I've had to do so many times, but it's R O U G E U
1: X. And that's Ruji. Ruji. That's right. Okay. Well, it's great to have you here on the podcast and I appreciate you being patient with me trying to pronounce your name. Let's talk a little bit about your background. I know I gave a little bit of a preview, but how did you get into the data and services business for brick and mortar retail?
2: Sure. Happy to kind of walk you through a little bit of my career progression. It's a little unorthodox. I'll try to gloss over the unpertinent details, but I actually studied English myself and my first job out of college was in finance, believe it or not. But based on the industry that I worked in, which at the time was food service and specifically QSR, I moved into project management and then program management, which is just a fancy way of saying making things happen that the marketing team wants to do. So I worked in kind of supply chain, helping marketing initiatives cross the bridge into real world market tests and product rollouts. So from there, a friend of mine was starting a business that was trying to kind of disrupt a social gaming space. So back in 2010, I don't know if you ever played these games, Ben, but Farmville was a big thing on Facebook along with other games. And we're kind of looking at how that space was sucking up a lot of people's time and money and thought maybe there was a better way to take advantage of that. So we started a gaming company that allowed you to take actions in the game, spend money in the game, and all of that activity supported real world charitable organizations. So things like providing meals for kids, shoes, clothing, we did some animal causes and things like that.
1: So using data and digital interactions to actually affect real world outcomes and real world problems.
2: Yeah, exactly. Kind of bridging that digital and real world.
1: I see a theme here.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so from there, we started another company called Causly. And Causly, in a nutshell, it's a way for local businesses to generate word of mouth referrals on social media, specifically Facebook and Instagram. So we put together a program. It was kind of a turnkey program that allowed a business to tell its customers that if they checked in on Facebook or Instagram, if they left a review on Facebook or took some other kind of related actions, that would trigger a donation to a charity that all of our customers as a community were supporting together. So essentially we would pick one organization to support. We'd pick a project or a specific tangible good we wanted to provide that month. And then all of the organizations within Causely would work together to support that cause So we were able to do some really interesting things like build an entire school just within like a couple of weeks based on everyone's involvement. So local businesses at the time, well, they still have this problem, but they kind of live and die by referrals and it's really hard to scale that. So we basically gave them a way to do that in a way that was kind of turnkey, scalable, but then also very authentic as well and delighted their customers in the process.
1: Seems like there's a couple of themes there. One, using digital activities and driving people to take an action using some sort of altruistic reason, right, involving in charity. And you've also done a lot of digital marketing related to offline brands. Now you're at SkyFi. Tell me a little bit about the landscape of what's happening with brick and mortar businesses. And eventually you want you to tell us a little bit about how SkyFi plays in that space. But let's start off with the overall landscape. Tell me about what's happening in brick and mortar businesses and how are they competing with online brands?
2: So this is a really interesting time for brick and mortar retail. If you read some of the headlines about the brick and mortar retail space a few years ago, you would hear these kind of sensationalist headlines about this retail apocalypse and Amazon was eating everyone's lunch. Those are still concerns. There's no lack of challenges for the brick and mortar space, but I think they were a little bit overblown. And what's happening instead is brick and mortar retail is kind of reinventing itself from being purely a place that's driven by transactions and more driven by experiences. So what I mean by that is, Ben, instead of you going into a shop and just simply going there to buy an item, pay for it and and go home the role of that brick and mortar space is changing. So you may have looked at an item online, done some research, and then found that it was just easier for you to pick that item up in a physical store itself. So in that sense, it's more of a fulfillment type function. So there's some utility that they're providing in that case. You can also flip that around. And in many cases, customers are going to brick and mortar stores to experience a product. You have things like Casper and their mattress products. They've done a lot of online sales, but now they're actually starting to develop brick and mortar spaces because they recognize that people want to lay down on a mattress before they buy it. So they may not actually buy it in the store. That may not even be a KPI for that brick and mortar space. It's really just that the space is there to provide that tangible experience. Now, in other cases, like shopping centers, they're looking at providing experiences in other ways. So it might be by like attaching a fitness center to other places where you might shop. So instead of having to drive all around town to complete some of your errands, you can do all that in one center. Or it might be through things like live entertainment or other experiences that you can't replicate in the digital world. So basically, that's a long way of saying brick and mortar retail now It's successful, or at least the chains that are successful are those that can create new experiences that can't be replicated digitally.
1: There's a couple of interesting things that you mentioned and a couple of brands that pop out in my mind. You mentioned Casper. Really, it sounds like what you're saying is that the retail experience is obviously not the only way that you can go buy a good and it's challenging to get from point A to point B and pick up a product often. So there has to be another component or another reason for someone to leave their house to buy a product, whether it's experiential, whether it's the enjoyment of the process there's a couple of companies that stick out to me. I know that Bonobos has the guide shop where you can try on all their clothes and figure out exactly what sizes, but you can't buy them in the store. They don't have to hold any inventory anymore.
2: Yeah, Warby Parker is kind of a good example. This is pertinent to me cuz my wife was looking for some glasses and we happened to be next to a Warby Parker store when we were at a local kind of outdoor shopping area and she wasn't planning to buy But obviously with glasses, you want to try them on before you buy them. So we weren't really pressured into buying anything there. The sales people were more focused on just helping her find the right glasses she was looking for and less about pushing a transaction right then and there.
1: Yeah, I think that the experience is different when the staff is not motivated by commission, obviously. So that makes a lot of sense. The other thing that I was thinking about is there's a trend for either high ticket items You still see people going and buying televisions at Best Buy because they want to see the TV first. And that's similar to what you mentioned at Casper with the mattresses, something that's large or expensive. I've also noticed a trend with large tech companies having a physical retail presence, Apple being the most obvious one, but Microsoft has a store. I think Google has their own stores now. And Amazon is opening up, whether it's Whole Foods or cashierless stores, How are you perceiving the integration of the tech community into the brick and mortar space? Well, from my
2: perspective, it really comes down to data and specifically lack of data and then kind of a shortage of ability to really get maximum value from that data. So it's almost easier to contrast brick and mortar with e-commerce or digital properties because the gap is pretty huge. So a digital property would never really succeed without a really clear understanding of who's on their site and how they behave while they're there. That being said, a brick and mortar retailer, they have very little data about who their visitors are and how they behave within that store. So the challenge you're facing is one, they're having to go through a transformation where they shift their business from being focused on transactions to experience. So that's one part of the equation. But the second piece along with that is that as they make those decisions, it's very hard to consistently make good decisions if you don't have good data about what's happening in your store. And at the same time, when you do make those changes, you want to understand what the ramifications were. So what action were you trying to affect and were you successful in that endeavor? Without data, you're just kind of running on gut or maybe a little bit of data, but it's not statistically significant. So at best, you're just kind of hoping for the best, but at worst, you're getting data that's misleading and steering you down the wrong path.
1: That's interesting. And I'm assuming that this is where SkyFi comes in, where you are providing brands with the data they need to understand what's happening in their store. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, that's right. So here's how we look at it. Any brick and mortar retailer is going to have data from both the physical context and the digital context. So nearly any business, even if it's a shopping center, they have a website, they maybe even have an app. And so they're interacting with people in a digital medium. Obviously, they have people interacting in a physical context. So what we do is we help businesses take data both from the digital world and from the physical world, and we put that together to give them a more comprehensive understanding of customer behavior. So in essence, it's helping them measure, predict, and then ultimately influence a customer behavior by pulling that data together, looking at it in a single system of record, and then layering some marketing and communication tools on top of that to help them actually reach out and connect with customers through some new channels.
1: Help me understand the types of data that you're collecting and merging together. Obviously, in the digital context, somebody was served an ad, somebody clicked, somebody received an email, somebody opened it, maybe even down to the level of somebody added something to a cart. How do you marry that with the offline data? Walk me through the path there.
2: So the way that looks, is structured a little bit differently from business to business. You mentioned things like email campaign performance, website analytics, shopping cart performance, even things like point of sale. That's all data that most businesses have to some extent. So we can start there. But let me shift gears and go to the physical side of things because that's where things get a little bit more interesting. So we'll take data primarily from sources like Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, foot counters, cameras, that each provide a level of information around how many people visit a venue, how they behave while they're there, how long they stay. And then even their profile. So to give you an example, most venues now today have Wi-Fi, but they use Wi-Fi as kind of an amenity. It's just the expectation that if you go to an airport, they're going to have Wi-Fi. What they're not doing is they're not using that data source as an asset. So with Wi-Fi in particular, there's data that we can help them capture when customers access the wireless network. Things like email, phone number is all opt-in data. It's all optional but you can start to build visitor profiles using Wi-Fi. You can even incorporate survey data and sentiment data through the Wi-Fi login experience to enrich those profiles over time. So all of a sudden, instead of every visitor who comes through being anonymous, you can start to identify things like what part of town they're coming from, whether they're traveling for business or pleasure, this is obviously an airport example, but what kind of expectations they had, all of the kind of rich profile information you really need to understand customers.
1: So outside of the airport example, where the expectation is that there is some free Wi-Fi, in an e-commerce example, let's say I'm going to go into J. Crew, and was looking at their app. I put some things. and I decided I wanted to go and try on the sweater in person. Is the expectation that I'm going to log into J.Crew's Wi-Fi? All right. So for a physical retailer, probably
2: not. Wi-Fi in that case is really not something that people are connecting to. So I mentioned Wi-Fi for the context of an airport. But for other verticals, we'll look at other data sources to maybe gain a more complete understanding of customer behavior. So you mentioned J.Crew's app. You might assume that they have location services enabled within that app. So for a certain percentage of customers, you may be able to tell how many people viewed the app and then ultimately went to the store. That's something we do through an SDK and a more direct integration with, with their app. But that's an example of how we'd kind of tie those two together. We can also pull in data from things like advertising networks, retargeting networks, and I guess other third-party data sources to start linking these disparate sources together. So again, it varies a little bit from company to company based on their technology stack. Right. But essentially the more data sources we can pull in together, every data source you add in, it clarifies that picture by degrees every time. So typically when someone works with us, they'll start off with maybe a couple sets of data and that gives them kind of a baseline but then we'll add more data over time. And then over time, we'll add more data as well through those existing data sources. So that picture becomes clearer and clearer kind of month after month, year after year.
1: So what's interesting to me is there's a privacy challenge here where I am essentially being tracked by a store that I have their app and have their location services enabled. It's probably something that I'm doing opt-in, but my guess is that most people don't really realize that they're opting in to have this sort of ongoing tracking. Is there something that you consider to be controversial in terms of how the end consumer is opting into the experience and how is this actually affecting them?
2: That's a really good question, Ben, and it's something that we take pretty seriously ourselves because there's no shortage of bad actors who are either lax in the oversight of that data or the experience that they're delivering to customers and how upfront they are about that. And there's even a few companies who have been acting maliciously with customer data, which is very unfortunate. So I think what's important for a retailer to understand is the philosophy that the company that they're working with has about data. For us, we look at data as a way to improve experiences for the people that that brand interacts with. So for some people, the best experience is to be completely anonymous, not to share any data, to completely opt out of anything. And for us, that's fine. If that's the best experience for them, that's okay with us. We're not interested in tricking anyone to provide data that they're not aware of. Again, it's all about using that data to provide better experiences. Now, for many customers, they will have an interest in sharing data because they recognize that that's a way for them to get more relevant information or have just a more informed experience while they're within that location. So without going into like too many details about the specific data policies A lot of it has to do with GDPR. So I don't know if that's a topic you've explored in another podcast, but there's some pretty stringent regulations there about how you present messaging to customers about what data is going to be collected. And then just as importantly, there's a requirement for allowing visitors to remove any data that's been collected. So if they change their mind or if they maybe they skim through the fine print, they can go back and do that. So... That's a regulation that came through the EU. I don't believe it's mandatory in the US yet, but most companies in our space, us included, have been on board with that from day one. Again, to make sure that we're giving our customers, as well as their own visitors, every assurance that data is used securely, that we're above board about what's collected and how it's used, and that it's secure and that there won't be any breaches in that data.
1: So talk to me about the flip side of this, where... The goal here is to improve the customer experience. How does merging your online and offline data together, how does it help a brick and mortar retailer improve the customer experience? I think, Ben, it
2: really comes down to understanding who your customers are. This is kind of marketing 101, but any marketer who's halfway decent at what they do knows that you have to start with understanding who your customers are. If you don't, it's really hard to come forward with the right messaging or the right experience or the right offers even just the right language in what you're sending, whether that's something that goes into an email, whether it's the way that you're describing your products or positioning promotions, the way that you've priced products, you really can't do that with understanding who your customers are. And again, without rich data, you're kind of relying on just a few sources. So you might do some market research, you might do some focus groups. You can probably get some data from maybe Google Analytics to see who's headed to your site. But if you really wanna understand them at a deep level, you have to understand things like motivations, shopper affinities. You have to understand things, how weather and news affect shopping behavior, which is another thing that we do, we'll incorporate that type of data into things like visit rates and purchase activity to see how those trend. And the retail space is so crowded, Ben. There's hundreds and hundreds or even thousands of retailers. And there's a few of them that can maybe come forward with a broad message, maybe the Walmarts and the targets of the world. But even for them, the better you can understand who your customers are and what motivates them, the better you can connect with them. And that all comes down to getting the right data and putting it together so you can see the big picture
1: interesting stuff. And I think this is a good place for us to stop for today. So that wraps up this episode of the Martech podcast. Thanks to John Ruggie from SkyFi for joining us. In part two of this interview, which we're going to publish tomorrow, John is going to tell us how digital marketing data is being integrated into offline businesses specifically for marketing. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about John, you can click on the link in his bio to our show notes or the link in our show notes to his bio, or you can go to his website, which is john.marketing. Great website. A special thanks to Nit for sponsoring this podcast. If you're interested in using podcast advertising to grow your reach or build a new audience, I'll personally walk you through the setup of your first test campaign. So click the link in our show notes or go to benjshap.com slash knit. That's K-N-I-T to book your podcast strategy session with me to start leveraging the power of podcasts to grow your brand. If you're a subscriber to the Martech podcast, thank you for being a member of our community. You can always reach out on social media. My handle is Ben J. Schapp, and you can find me on LinkedIn and on Twitter. If you haven't subscribed yet and you want a weekly stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, in addition to part two of our conversation with John Ruji, we've got some great episodes lined up over the next few weeks. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app, and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning.